Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Friday, April 9th, and we're talking an automation S1. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined by Fool.com's uniquely unqualified underwriter for uncovering anti-underperforming utility units, Brian Faroldi. Brian, how you doing? Dylan, happy Friday to you. How's it going? I can't complain, man. We, we get to do this all the time. It's, it's so fun to tape the show with you, and we got a prospectus on our hands. There's been no shortage of really interesting companies. I, I don't want to overstate it, but I think that the one that we're going to be talking about today Based on that alliterative, people can tell it starts with a U, uh, probably one of the more interesting ones and maybe one of the most uh, immediately investable ideas we've talked about in a while. Yeah, when we dig through, uh, when I dug through the the S1 on this company, there is definitely a lot to like. And you called this out in a private conversation we had. You think this could be Snowflake 2.0? Given the numbers we're about to say, I don't think that's an unfair comparison. Enough intrigue. The name of the company is UiPath, and the proposed ticker symbol is PATH, P-A-T-H. Uh, if you are in the tech business, UiPath might make sense to you as a name. Um, it, it, it plays into what they do. But Brian, this is a company that is focused on robotic process automation. Uh, that's, that's probably a little jargon heavy for some of our listeners. That absolutely is. So let's start with the company's mission. That always should give you a good idea of what the company's trying to do. Uh, UiPath's mission is, quote unquote, to unlock human creativity and ingenuity by enabling the fully automated enterprise and empowering workers through automation. Uh, in very simple terms, they provide automated software solutions that can be deployed and used by non-technical people, or to say it even simpler, they make software robots so that people don't have to be robots. Yeah, and, and it's kind of interesting to think of people as robots, and, and that, that might cause some, some people's brains to hurt a little bit with that classification. Um, but, but I think breaking it down is helpful. Um, RPA, the robotic process automation that they are focused on, this is, this is really their core business and the enterprise issue that they are trying to solve. Um, it's, I, I want to get definitional here because I think it helps clarify what this is. So if you break this down, we have, we have robotic, and this is something that is capable of being programmed uh, by a computer to do a task. You have process, which is a series of steps that lead to an activity, and then you have automation which is when a task uh, happens without any human interaction. So if you put all of those together, you are taking something that's capable of doing something automatically, laying out the steps for how it does it automatically, and then allowing it to automatically happen without any human intervention. And when we do this, Brian, we are primarily focusing on very rote automated tasks that have been uh, kind of worked out and all of the workflow steps have been figured out. Yes, and I think that uh, every everybody here, even if you're a, a knowledge worker, does have some repetitive tasks uh, in, in their jobs, uh, filling out forms, pulling in uh, data, integrating information, uh, etc. There are still a ton of repetitive tasks that uh, that knowledge workers do that don't necessarily add a lot of value. UiPath's goal is to create easy-to-use software robots that can be deployed by essentially anybody in an organization to take the automated mundane tasks out of their lives so they can focus on higher quality work. Yeah, I think if you are having a hard time understanding how this might come together for an office worker, 
if there's anything that you are manually copying and pasting or taking from one form and putting into another system, those are precisely the kind of tasks that RPA can help out with. Yeah, exactly. And what's 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 notable here is that uh, this company uh, has a lot of uh, third party people, uh, third party industry rankings that really point out that it is the leader uh, in the industry. If you look at uh, Gartner, they call out UiPath as the top dog in in RPA. Uh, Forrester calls out UiPath as the clear leader in the industry. So that is some; those are some heavy hitters that are backing this company up. And as we often say, Brian, when when we kind of get what a business does, but maybe don't quite have a good grip on the technical elements, we always like to see the industry endorsements. Uh, that always helps us and gives us a little bit of confidence. That and the numbers too. We usually let the numbers <laughs> kind of do the talking and we'll get into that in a little bit. But uh, if you talk about this company's uh, actual uh, solutions, yes, in their S1, they have all the buzzwords that, that are meaningful today. Yes, they say AI, machine learning, API integration, a low-code automation, uh, etc. But they have a number of products that can be basically be broken down into seven primary automation uh, functions. Uh, the first one would be called what, what they call discovery. Uh, this is when they use AI tools and um, desktop recording to find uh, repetitive tasks that are being done by knowledge worker that could be uh, taken in, that robots could 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 uh, could do. Uh, the second uh, the second uh, bucket is uh, products that build the tools that actually uh, handle the the, the coding. Uh, the third is a group that is called uh, management, and that's where the tools can be tested uh, and, and, and deployed. Uh, fourth is the runtime, so the actual running uh, of the tools themselves so that it all happens behind the scenes. Uh, fifth would be engagement, and this is actually a key point here. These tools aren't necessarily just to uh, replace the tasks that uh, humans do, but also to augment them. So uh, UiPath wants its robots and humans to coexist together so that they can uh, complement each other. That's what the engagement function does. Uh, six would be measurements. So it's important to have uh, feedback and analytics to make sure that you can actually have numbers to back up, that these tools are helping you and making you more productive. And the seven would be uh, government to make sure that everything is uh, safe, secure, and making sure that access is restricted. So that is, broadly speaking, the seven categories that UiPath breaks up its tools into. Yeah, Brian, and, and I think if you're an outsider here, this can sound a little dystopian uh, very fast, right? The, the idea of uh, a robot for every human or, or heavily automating a lot of things that are currently being done by workers. And I want to circle back to the mission here for a second for the company, because I think it's crucial in how they're positioning themselves with their customers. They say, again, to unlock human creativity and ingenuity by enabling fully automated enterprise and empowering workers through automation. Um, and in the interviews that I have seen with their CEO, for the most part, the focus is we are removing things that are boring, rote, difficult, uh, because they are so manual and could be automated. And the goal being we want to free up more of the creative work, more of the, the moments where humans really can add value to something. Um, within normal workflows. And so, you know, that's analysis in some cases, um, that's that's creative work. But the, the pitch from this company is we are not replacing people. Uh, we are trying to free them up to do work that is a little bit more filling and also where they're, they're more valuable, honestly. The pitch for, from UI is essentially, we want to give every single employee that you have a, an assistant that can handle all of their mundane tasks, which can free up your employees to do other things. At least that's the pitch at a very high level. 
Yeah. Now, I mean, when you get more efficient, that does mean often more work winds up coming your way. Uh, so I, I think some of the concerns are warranted, but that's at least how they're angling themselves. And yeah, I think I think the assistant is a very helpful metaphor for thinking about how this company is positioning itself for customers and really, you know, how users can think about it. Sure. Now, uh, this company was founded in uh, in uh, in 2005, and it's been on it's been uh, deploying its solutions for more than uh, 16 years. Uh, what I found interesting is that um, while this does have some SaaS like qualities to it, it is not a pure play uh, uh, SaaS company. They actually sell their software both uh, using a software as a service model as well as the uh, the legacy uh, licensing uh, model. If you look at their their revenue from their most recent quarter, about 60% of their revenue comes from uh, licensing. And those can be term deals where they have a start date and an end date or a perpetual where you just buy it and then you have it as long as that software uh, for that software as long as you want. That is still about 60% uh, of, of total revenue. About 35% of this company's revenue is from a category that it just calls maintenance and support for, the, for their licenses. Uh, and then finally, the final 5%, they do also have a professional services uh, component. That is a loss leader uh, for this company where they essentially send in consultants to, the, to, to their customers to help them get running. And the gross margin on that is actually uh, negative. The benefit of using uh, this model is that it can be completely adaptive to however the customer wants it. Uh, if the customer wants it all in the cloud, they can do that. If they want it all on-premise, they can do that. If they want a hybrid between the two, they can do that. If they want it in the private cloud or the public cloud or a combination, they can do that. So UiPath really tries to meet the customer at the level that they want to be at. Yeah, and I'm glad you dug into the the SaaS versus licensing here because it is easy to assume a lot of the companies we talk about, especially if they have a cloud element to them, default to SaaS, right? We've seen just how powerful the model is, and we need to specifically highlight when that's not the case because we know it's a very attractive business model. And my hunch is we probably see SaaS as a much larger piece of the pie in the future for this company uh, than it is currently. But you know that's that's in some ways an opportunity for them and something that they'll probably be building to rather than kind of how they're currently comprised. As much as we talk about the cloud and SaaS, Dylan, it's really amazing just how still, even still today, how small uh, SaaS is when compared to overall software usage and licensing. I have no doubt that 10 years from today, almost everything will be, uh, will be SaaS in, in the cloud. But for now, uh, we're not quite there yet. I want to talk financials and give people a sense of the scope of this business, because I'm guessing a lot of people have never even heard of the name UiPath. And we talk about a lot. A lot of IPOs are branding and marketing events. I think that's going to be the case for this business. But it is not a tiny one at this point, particularly uh, when you think about the scope and all the companies they work with. But their top line is pretty sizable already. In, 20, in fiscal 2021, which was Basically, twenty uh, the year twenty twenty. Uh, this company had a fabulous year, or should I say, another <laughs> fabulous year. Uh, the top line grew eighty one percent to six hundred and eight million dollars. So that is a very sizable number on its own right. And equally impressive is that growth rate. 81%, I mean, that puts it in rare company. We're talking like CrowdStrike, Datadog, Shopify level. So a really impressive top line number. Yeah. And crucially, Brian, a lot of that money keeps flowing down to the bottom line. Uh, you know, we, we see a gross margin with this business of 89%. Uh, you know, things, things get a little bit uglier when you go over to operating margin, as you might expect for a high growth business. Uh, it's currently negative. Um, but a lot of the core elements that we like in a business. 
Totally. So yeah, gross margin here was 89%, which is even more the impressive when you consider that 5% of its revenue is negative gross margin, that percent that uh, professional services. So that just shows you how unbelievably high margin uh, the, 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 the software uh, is. Net loss last year was $92 million, at least on a gap basis. Uh, but if you look at free cash flow, free, free cash flow was actually positive $26 million. So that's just a difference between gap and, uh, and, and the free cash flow. So uh, financially, extremely strong. And to your point, prior to coming uh, public, the last balance sheet that we got from this company shows $474 million in cash. And they do have $1.2 billion in preferred uh, common stock. More often than not, that does get converted to equity and an event such as an IPO. But yeah, there's no doubt that this company was ex- is extremely financially strong. Therefore, it's not coming public because it needs to. It's coming public because it wants to. Yeah, and Brian, even further, if I'm not mistaken, the prospectus has the balance sheet as of January 31st, 2021. Um, I know that they had a funding round. I believe it closed in early February. It might have been February 1st, um, which would mean that there is even more cash than what is currently shown on the balance sheet. Don't quote me on that, but I think it's true based on the timeline that I've seen with reports. And that would be fair enough. Either way, the company has plenty of capital, plenty of liquidity. But to your point, I do think this is a marketing event for the company. The other number, which I can't believe we put this far down in the script, (laughs) Dylan, shame on us. Uh, UiPath has a net revenue retention rate that is ridiculously impressive. 145%. And yes, retention, that includes churn. Yeah, uh, I think I can maybe come up with one or two other companies that have touched that. With, with their prospectuses. And I, I, I think it's Datadog. I, I maybe, maybe I don't even have a second one, Brian. Yeah, that's that. That puts them in rare, in rare, rare air, and uh, equally important. It's important to remember what the scale we're talking about here. This isn't an upstart SaaS that is just getting started. This is a company that's been around for 15 years and is on pace to do over 600 million dollars in revenue this year. That makes that number even more impressive. Yeah, and 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 that timeline might be a little confusing to people, Brian, to to hear this explosive growth and have never heard of this company. Uh, and part of it is like I think UiPath for a while was trying to figure out what what exactly the core business was. They went through a couple different transformations, ultimately landed on um, RPA, realized kind of by accident in some ways that they had a very effective product. And then focus their entire business on it and immediately became a category leader. So that's why for for as long as the company has been around, um, we're only seeing this massive growth really in like the last five or so years and and really seeing it become a much more relevant industry player uh, in the last decade or so. And that's the kind of thing that we see with a lot of successful companies. They start out with one idea in mind, and they have to continually jig the, the business model until they hit upon something that really resonates with the market. And based on the numbers, they've done just that. Yeah. And if you look over at a lot of industry lists, uh, if the financials weren't enough, there are a lot of accolades. Uh, In April 2020, UiPath was named the top tech company and number two overall in Financial Times FT1000 ranking of America's fastest growing businesses. No surprise with that growth rate. Uh, And UiPath was also named CNBC's 2020 Disruptor 50 ranking and number three on Forbes Cloud 100 for the second consecutive year. So a lot of people in the industry are watching this business, Brian. And understandably, given the numbers that we're talking about, as we said at the top of the show, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of valuation this company pulls. And it would not surprise me at all if we saw a snowflake-like day one results. 
Yeah, and, and just to give a quick history lesson on where they've been as a private company, uh, they raised at a $1 billion valuation in 2018, and then $3 billion later in the same year. 2019, they raised at $7 billion. 2020, they raised at $10 billion. And earlier this year, they raised uh, $750 million in their Series F, which valued them at $35 billion. So, Brian, that is a 30-bagger in about three years, which is absolutely wild. And just shows you how crazy undervalued they were in 2018 when they raised that one uh, billion, one billion dollars. And uh, yeah, if their current valuation, if their private valuation is 35 billion, what kind of number are we going to possibly see? First off, at the IPO, and then when someone's trading actually starts. I mean, Snowflake was a few hundred times uh, sales, if memory serves. Uh, we're not anywhere in that ballpark, but could we be? Maybe. Yeah. It wouldn't be crazy. I mean, we're at we're at basically 60 times trailing sales based on their most recent private valuation round. I have to imagine once we go through the actual public offering, uh, the premium is going to be even higher, you know, um, and I wouldn't be wouldn't be shocked if it winds up touching triple digits at some point uh, with a lot of market enthusiasm behind it. Part of that is, you know, at least for fools, there, there's another really strong sign with this one. And, and that's the fact that this is a founder led business. The CEO and co-founder is still in the corner office. His name is Daniel Dines. Uh, he founded this business 16 years ago in uh, in Romania, uh, actually. And all the usual checks that we go through really suggest that he has done a fabulous job. Not only has the growth been absolutely torrid, not only are they uh, hiring new customers and uh, and getting existing ones to uh, to spend more. UiPath also gets pretty darn good uh, Glassdoor reviews. If you look over uh, to Glassdoor, a few hundred people have given. Uh, the CEO, an 87% approval rating. The company itself gets four stars out of five. And while we don't know the exact ownership of breakdown for this company, that will be uh, jigged around based on how many shares get converted, etc. Uh, we do see that Daniel Dines uh, owns 100% of the Class B stock uh, for this company. That is super voting stock that we've seen go to many founders. And he basically owns 100% of that. Prior to coming public, he controls 91% of the total voting power of the company. Uh, so this is going to be his company. But uh, you can't say that he doesn't have skin in the game because he is going to own a significant amount of this business. Yeah. And it's hard to argue with the track record and the growth that we've seen so far. Um, the more I read about this business, and you, you kind of mentioned this when we talked about the revenue and the top line, the scale they're operating on. The more I read, the more I'm amazed that I didn't know about this company uh, before you pinged me with the S1 saying, let's talk about it. Because they have some huge partnerships and they have a huge customer base already. Yeah, they've got almost 8,000 uh, 8, customers that they've signed on. And yes, they are targeting uh, enterprises and boy, have they landed some big ones. They, have, they claim to have 80% of the Fortune 10 63% of the Fortune uh, 500, uh, and they have over a thousand customers that will pay them over a hundred thousand uh, dollars annual recurring revenue each year. This includes right in there in there S1. They call it many big partners that we know: Adobe, Chevron, Chipotle, CrowdStrike, CVS, Takeda, uh, Uber. So a wide range of customers that are in all facets of the market. I'm going to add a, an asterisk. I think it's 80% of the Fortune 100. That might be a typo in our outline, because uh, that's the number that sticks out to me. But either way, I mean, we're talking about a huge imprint in what we know to be businesses that have a lot of spend, um, and, and certainly companies that benefit tremendously from uh, precisely what they are offering. So it's a good sign um, for the industry and another kind of proof concept for them. Um, in spite of all of that, 
you know, having huge, huge uh, customer base already, having kind of massive uh, contracts and install bases in place already, Brian, um, there's still a really, really compelling revenue opportunity in front of them. So IDC estimates that the market that this company competes in is currently worth about $17 billion. As a reminder, this company did about $600 million in in revenue over the trailing 12 months. Uh, What's more important is that the entire market for the services is growing uh, rapidly. Uh, IDC estimates that it's currently growing at about a 16% uh, annualized clip. So that's adding billions of dollars in TAM uh, every year. If you look at the company, the company actually believes that that significantly understates its current market opportunity. And it says, if you look across the world at all the companies that have 200 employees or more that could potentially adopt our services, they believe that the TAM is currently in uh, $60 billion uh, and and growing rapidly. If you believe that, then that means they've captured 1% of their current market opportunity. But if this company does not work out as an investment, it's not going to be because the opportunity isn't there. Yeah, there is clearly green field here in front of them. And and what I think is so encouraging when you see a business that already has a, a pretty big presence with companies that have a lot of spend and are willing to put money at ideas that make them more efficient is when you see such a strong dollar-based net retention number. Because that means the use case is there. Once customers are in, they continue to grow and they continue to find more ways to integrate this software solution into what they do on a day-to-day basis. Exactly. And if, it can, if, if they can prove it out with a few employees and they can clearly get value, uh, as we said at the top of the show, this is a company that wants essentially every knowledge worker to have their own robot assistant. So uh, you can see that number continue to stay strong if they can deliver. Yep. And that is, as you might imagine, something that has attracted a lot of other people to this space. Anytime you see huge growth rates, people tend to perk up and say, you know, maybe we should get into business doing that. Um, And of course, uh, UiPath was not the first company in this space. Um, They kind of came into something that already had some players and very quickly became one of the go-to providers. Uh, We did mention that they are one of the top dogs. I will say uh, Automation Anywhere is another very, very highly regarded company in this space. And I think it's basically UiPath, Automation Anywhere, and then the rest of the field um, when, when you're looking certainly at industry rankings. And you shouldn't overlook, quote unquote, the rest of the field, because that includes companies like Microsoft, uh, Pegasystems, uh, Nice Systems, uh, SAP, uh, WorkFusion, uh, et cetera. But yes, uh, so far, UiPath has is, is proven to be uh, the top dog uh, in this space. And as its revenue growth proves, uh, boy, is it doing a great job at maintaining that leadership position. So, But that is absolutely a risk to watch, that uh, if its growth rates were too slow uh, in, the, in the near future, uh, that could be painful painful for shareholders. So Brian, kind of putting all this together, we have a a company that we are uh, loosely calling Snowflake 2.0. And I think having gone through a lot of the core business numbers now, a lot of our listeners might even agree, um, this this is a really compelling investing idea, right? High growth, great retention rates, interesting industry opportunity in front of them, founder led business, seems like it has a really great culture. I think there's going to be a lot of enthusiasm behind this IPO, even though it's a name that a lot of people might not have heard of. If you didn't know anything about the valuation, Dylan, is there a metric that we talked about that you did not like? No, it all looks great. You know, <laughs> the, the gross margin, the growth rates, the Dabner, it's, it's all fantastic. Exactly. So yes, I, this company checks 
all of the boxes that I look for. We actually there's actually no customer concentration risk. We didn't actually uh, get into that before, but man, is this a uh, compelling investment? The tricky thing is going to be Wall Street is clearly on to this name, and how big is the valuation for this company going to be uh, after it uh, comes public? I mean, man, was Snowflake uh, priced at a, at a very high uh, number? There's no doubt in my mind that this thing is going to be two. If in the private markets it raised capital at 60 times sales, what's going to happen when it's the public market. So this is definitely a company that I'm going to watch, going to put it on my radar. I probably won't be a day one buyer, but would I be a quarter three or quarter four buyer? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. These are growth rates that are hard to ignore. Um, and I think there are probably some investors out there, Brian, that, that got bit a little bit by the enthusiasm behind Snowflake, where you know there was there was uh, you know all of the fanfare around the IPO. We found out that Warren Buffett was you know an investor early, uh, able to get in, I think, at IPO price. Um, and when you see Buffett getting into tech, <laughs> there's all kinds of excitement, right? That's that's such a signal for so many people. Um, and you know the, the shares are down, I think, about thirty percent from highs, something like that. Um, we're you know anyone who's investing in that company is doing it because of the long term tailwinds are just are just so great and too too big to ignore but there there might be a little bit more of a tepid reaction because of that my my guess is not though we we we, we tend to see people get really excited when something like this comes public yeah, I'm looking at Snowflake's chart right now, and it looks like they're down about 11% from their IPO price, and significantly more to that if you were unfortunate enough to buy at the high, because Snowflake actually performed pretty darn well after it uh, came public. Uh, my problem, I, I never have a problem paying a very, very high valuation for a company. My problem is more just the pure market cap of this thing. Will this be a $100 billion company? Will it be a $70 billion company? Will it be a $50 billion company? That I don't know. I also don't know how big could this company become if it if everything just worked out beautifully so how much truly upside is there for investors if i was going to take a a position in a company like this uh, i would have to believe that multi-bagger returns are possible so either way it's definitely going on my watch list yeah, same for me. And, and to your point, I mean, we know that this is going to be de- debuting in the tens of billions for valuation. Um, you know, it. We've seen a lot of companies go from fifty billion to three hundred billion. You know, and and uh, and and quality businesses seem to have a way of doing that. But it does mean that getting big fast is a little bit harder. Um, and when you see growth rates like this, I mean, that that's a hockey stick movement in its valuation over a very short period of time. I think it sets people up for really tough expectations when it comes to the performance of the company. Doesn't mean it's not a really high quality business, though. Very high quality business. And I understand why Wall Street is going to be excited about this thing. And hey, I'm I'm happy we could talk about it today. Yeah. And you know what, Brian, if we see the news item that Warren Buffett winds up getting into UiPath, we will know that he is an industry-focused listener. That's exactly right. <laughs> Actually, I would vastly prefer to see Charlie Munger takes a position in UiPath prior to coming public. <laughs> Brian, we'll have to keep uh, keep our eyes peeled for that. Thank you so much for joining me on today's show. Thank you, Dylan. Have a great weekend. You too. Listeners, that's going to do it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say, hey, shoot us an email at industryfocus@fool.com, or you can always tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you want more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Spotify, Stitcher, you name it, we are there. As always, people in the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for all his work behind the glass today, and thank you for listening. Until next time, Fool on. Fool on.